Last week we were challenged by the words of Jesus Christ at 12 years old when he said, I must be about my father's business, about the things pertaining to God's glory and mission. Over the next couple of weeks in January, I want to take that phrase and just drag it out a little bit in a good way. I want to drag that phrase about our father's business and see how it applies to us in the local church, in the community around the world. You see, if I were to categorize the Father's business under two headings, they would come under the two greats, right? The great commission and the great commandment. The great commandment, of course, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. The great commission from Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them, In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. I want to start today, though, with a foundational and realistic expectation that the Bible conveys about everyone who claims to be followers or a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you claim to be a Christian, basic level Christianity requires an evangelistic heart and an evangelistic ministry. That is, essentially, Christians point people to Jesus by using our lives and our words to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. If we look at Paul or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John, if we look at 1 Peter that I quoted for you right at the beginning, you can see this heart and ministry of the gospel laid out explicitly. Let's put that verse on the screen, shall we? 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, The NIV says, set apart Christ as Lord. The King James says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be prepared, be ready to make a defense or give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and with respect. In that little verse, look at it, you see a heart and the work of evangelism. Do you see it? Always setting apart the lordship of Jesus Christ. You you see that there in this verse. You're talking about being surrendered to the Lord and doing the work, being ready, living your life in such a way that people ask you about the hope that is within you. If we look at Jesus in the text that we read from John 4, and we'll get to that in just a moment, It's laid out with a pretty clear example on how to follow to get to the gospel conversationally. This morning, I want to take and and talk about this work of evangelism. Last week, we, we talked about being about our father's business. This morning, about my father's business in my own personal gospel witness. My own personal gospel witness. One of the number one reasons that people don't share the gospel is because they don't know what to say. Well, dear friend, watching online or sitting in a pew this morning, this is a dangerous place for you to be. (laughs) 
it's dangerous for you to come to a church that preaches the Bible as authoritative or to dial in, as it were, to a Bible that, to a church that believes the Bible is the Word of God. It's dangerous to your comfort zones. It's dangerous to uh, the enemy. We're essentially calling out and saying we are ready for battle. We believe this book. We will trust our God and we, as a family, as a flock, as a body, as a church, will be about our Father's business. We're going to talk this morning about the why of evangelism, a little more about the what of evangelism, and then something we pastors fail at oftentimes is the how of evangelism. So this morning, kind of a workshop, if you will, a little different style of message for us, but to kick off the new year, listen, there are too many people slipping into eternity without a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you and I can throw a life preserver to them and be a part of God's life-saving mission, we need to be about our Father's business. Before we get to John 4, let me give you um, a kind of a recap, some big picture items related to the gospel. Greg Gilbert, in his book, What is the Gospel?, wrote this fantastic quote here. The church is the arena in which God has chosen, above all, to showcase his wisdom and the glory of the gospel. The church is where he showcases that the best. Now, let me talk about that for just a minute. I'll leave that quote up. We, we expect the church, Sunday morning, to be gospel preaching and gospel revealing. And If we're not careful, though, we get comfortable, I think, with a gospel message kind of happening on Sunday morning around 10, 10 a.m. at the corner of South Boulevard and East Boulevard in Charlotte. And that's where gospel ministry happens. But I want to remind you that you are the church. And evangelism happens when the church leaves the building and goes about our Father's business. Now, you hear the word gospel thrown around a lot today. There's a lot of people claiming this is gospel this and gospel that. And I've heard the word used gospel music. And I listen and sometimes I'm listening hard for the gospel. But um, what is the gospel? Let me give you some of the, I would say, some essential elements of the gospel. There are different ways to express this with scripture. But here are some essential elements of the gospel message. If you're taking notes, I'm sorry about the notes online this morning. Those will be updated later today, but maybe it's a good time to get that hand going or those thumbs a-typing. If you're taking notes this morning, this is what I would write down, the gospel message. The first point I would have you to know, and if you want to wait, you're like, oh, that's too much to write. I've got a really short list that will help you write this down in just a minute. Here's the big picture, though. It is God to whom we are accountable because he is the creator and the ruler of the world. The Bible says in Revelation 4.11 that worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Now let me just stop right here and say, wait a minute, the gospel, some of you Bible nerds in the room are going, wait, the, the euangelion is actually the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is correct. But imagine walking up to somebody and saying, Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross outside the city, was buried in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and raised to life on the third day when God said it was enough. I was looking at Wyatt. Was I making you uncomfortable? Sorry. Um, Wyatt's a buddy. But you say that to somebody and they're like, wait, what does that have to do with anything? Who are you talking about? What? 
So the context of the gospel, why is that even important? The gospel doesn't start with you and your broken heart and your felt need. The gospel starts with God. That's why we started here. We're accountable to this creator and ruler God. The Bible's clear about that. So what's the problem? We've rebelled, number two, we've rebelled against him with our sin. The Bible says that when we directly rebel against God by trying to run our own life. Here it is in Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All turn aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. How's that for self-esteem speech on Sunday morning of 2021? We're all sinners, and this rebellion has consequences. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. But the story doesn't stop there. Because of God's great mercy, here's the third point, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, as the solution for all of humanity through his sacrificial death and resurrection. This is the gospel message. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this, he's caused us again to a living hope to be born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see the death of Christ paying for our sins and the resurrection of Christ securing our born again status. This is the hope of the gospel. How do we respond to the gospel? How can we be involved in this great salvation? Fourth point, we repent and believe. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. John 3.36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and who does not believe or obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 1, 12, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. What is the gospel? This is the gospel. This is the gospel message. It's a great message. And here are your two word headers. If you're going to take notes, these are the words I would write down. You ready? You're like, good. I was about to cramp up trying to write all that. You go too fast this morning in our neighborhood. We're passing a little person walking a dog. And uh, Erlen says to Shepherd in the back seat, oh, look, a puppy. And we get past and we got about a second pass. And Shepherd said, Dad, you went too fast. I didn't get to see the puppy. So I'm sorry if I went too fast and you didn't get to write it down. So here's two word headers for you to help. God's authority, man's rebellion, Jesus Christ, repent, believe. Do me a favor, don't walk up to somebody and just say that though. They're gonna look at you like you're crazy because you are. You know, hello, God's authority, Jesus Christ. Don't do that, don't do that. We're accountable to a holy God that created and rules everything, God's authority. We've rebelled against him with our sin by trying to run our life our own way. Man's rebellion. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's solution to our sin problem, Jesus Christ. We must repent and believe. You can see why this is such a big deal. 
We talk about it a lot. Jesus talked about it a lot. It's all throughout the Pauline epistles in the New Testament. They're writing to these new Christians and churches, reminding them that the first thing, the main thing, should be the gospel. So that's the gospel message. But where are some gospel encounters in Scripture? Another header here, second movement of our overture this morning. Where are some gospel encounters in Scripture? Well, we started with one in John 4. We kind of got to the summation of that. But I want to just walk through that with you. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter number 4. Longest intro I think I've ever given you on a sermon. John chapter number 4. Let's look at the text together. You're going to look through the text. We're going to land on a few key verses as we move through to make some points. Let me tell you what's happening here in John chapter 4. Jesus leaves Judea and heads for Galilee again. And the straightest shot and the shortest distance would take him right through Samaria. Samaria has already come up for us. Even in our Advent readings, we learned about Samaria. The Jews would have avoided Samaria because of their disdain for um, these half-breeds and heretics, as they call them. They hated them with a passion and believed they were actually hurting the kingdom of God. So he comes across this woman at the well. Now, when I say those words, you probably know the account. And I don't know if you've seen, I'm not here totally endorsing or, or anything like that, but if you've seen that the Chosen miniseries, the scene of the woman at the well, oh, wow. I mean, it's worth watching it to get to that powerful scene. But we come to this woman at the well. Jesus comes to her. Look at verse 7 with me, if you will. Uh, so he says to this Sumerian woman, give me a drink. This Samaritan at the well. It's pretty remarkable that Jesus would say that. But I want you to notice something about it, something to note. He's engaging her in context. Does that make sense? He didn't go to the woman at the well and say, God's authority, man's rebellion. You feel me? Like he didn't just start willy-nilly talking Christianese. He talks to the woman. They're at a well. He's talking to her and says, give me a drink. He's engaging her in context. That's that's important to make a note of. There's some back and forth in the following verses, but there's something distinct about the way Jesus makes the request. He stands out. Why? I've already mentioned this, but he's a Jew in Samaria. He's a man asking a woman. That didn't happen then. And he's a Jewish man engaging in conversation with a Samaritan woman. So like all the rules to break of society, he broke them all. He, He crossed all the lines there. But he gets to the gospel element pretty quickly. In verse 10, look at what he says. If you, Jesus speaking to her, knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You all know the account. You've all read your Bibles. I got it. You've got this memorized. You could probably stand up and recite it without any help. But can you step into her shoes for just a minute and imagine him saying, if you knew who I was, you would have asked me for water and I would give you living water. And she goes, what? What What are you going to draw with? What are you talking about? It's intriguing. He's speaking of hope. He's speaking of something outside of that. He's gotten to a gospel promise. But watch this. He doesn't ignore sin in the conversation. They go back and forth a little more. We come to verse 16, and he says to her, go call your husband and come here. She says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you have now 
is not your husband. What you said is true. Boy, can you just, I can feel the collective ouch in the room with him getting there. He got right up in her business right there, right up in her grill, and got real with her real fast. Now, as a side note for your own evangelistic endeavors, uh, let me remind you that you are not Jesus, and it's uh, tempting to think that you are in some moments, but it's highly unlikely that you would so specifically name the very sin that someone is entrenched in in that moment. Our culture is so negative, it, it, it may seem like we're coming off as judgy to even mention sin in a general sense. We might be tempted, though, because we think, well, I'm not Jesus, I can't do that, so I'm not even going to talk about it. We might be tempted, I'll just talk to them about heaven and about the promises of God and about what it means to have life, and, and I'm going to leave the sin thing alone. The, the problem with doing that is Jesus didn't do that. The disciples didn't do that when they shared the message. And the Bible doesn't give you permission to present a half-gospel message. You can't understand how good the good news is until you know there's some bad news. The disciples then return and they're engaging. As soon as they get back, the woman takes off and it says in verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me of heaven. No. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So she's converted into an evangelist. Do you see this? One encounter and she goes away and wins the town. I've said this phrase before, but here it is on the screen just to kind of draw your attention to it. Somebody once said evangelism isn't complete until the evangelized become evangelists. That's called discipleship. That's just another name for discipleship. We're not trying to go 30 miles uh, wide or 30 miles deep we want to go like the Sunday school song that we all know really well deep and wide because there's a fountain flowing we want to make disciples not just get decisions evangelism isn't complete until the evangelized become evangelists Finally, let's see the results of what's happened here. The disciples asked Jesus in verse 34. They're like you should eat something Pastor Norm read that as we gave our attention to the word a few moments ago. And Jesus said in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Translation, I must be about my father's business. The results show up later. Many believe based on the woman's testimony alone and then many came to Jesus and believe. When you think of the heart and the ministry of sharing the gospel, our personal gospel ministry, here's an example from the Word of God of a conversation leading to a gospel exchange. Let's look at one other example quickly this morning, and then I want to give you some how-tos before I run out of time. In Mark chapter number 10, can you turn to Mark 10? You go back from John, Luke, and then you'll hit Mark. Mark 10. Verses 17 through 22, just five verses capture the account. You know the account, you may even have a header in there, of the rich young man or the rich young ruler. The Bible says, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, Jesus, and said, Good teacher, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder 
Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, pretty bold assumption here, he says, Teacher, I have kept all these things, or rather all these I have kept from my youth. Verse 31, 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Boy, that's important. If we're going to be good evangelists, we've got to love people the way Jesus did. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I don't have time to draw all of the marrow out of this, but can I just say here, what's the one thing there? Because there's no commandment based on that. What's he talking about? There's no commandment that says sell all that you have. Jesus was talking about the commandments. Here's the commandment. You ready? First commandment. No other gods before me. His God was money. At the mention of money, he was offended, brokenhearted, and bolted. Now let me just say this as a preacher of the Word of God. I can't preach the New Testament without covering money. It can't be done authentically. And the way that we respond in our hearts when the preacher or the Bible or Jesus makes claims on what's already his says more about us than it does about the preacher or the Word of God. This guy bolted over some coin. Hell's not worth that. This is referred to as the way of the master oftentimes. Jesus is using the law to shine the light on a man's perceived righteousness of his own standing. Why would he use the law? Well, the Bible says in Romans 3 that we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth is stopped. The whole world may be held accountable to God, but by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's essentially a way of confronting somebody by holding up the mirror of God's word to their goodness. It shows us we're incapable of moral purity on our own. All right, our movements. What is the gospel? Give me some gospel elements in Scripture, some gospel exchanges. And now, in the 10 minutes we have left this morning in the sermon, let's talk about how to share the gospel. Really springboarding off of the ways we already have seen this morning. If we capture the heart of the gospel from 1 Peter 3.15, remember, we love God and are surrendered to his lordship, and then we are ready to give an answer. The number one reason that church people say they don't share the gospel is they don't know what to say. Now, Pastor Darren would find that hard to believe after 29 years of faithfully preaching the word that people sitting under his preaching would say, I don't know what to say. But it happens, right? It happens. So this morning, I, the same thing. I've taught evangelism classes. I've, I've literally traveled uh, to go into communities where churches were networked together to just teach evangelism. And I want to tell you something. It's possible after attending three weeks of classes at two hours a pop. Who's got time for that? I mean, I'm glad they asked me to go, but my goodness. It's possible to sit through that class and somebody walk out and go like, yeah, I would do it. I just don't know what to say. <laughs> you go, What? 
So I want you to pay attention this morning because I want to try my best to give you some helpful tools to know how to share the gospel. Here's some things to remember regardless of which method that you share. For some of you, that law confrontation works. For some of you, conversational works. I want to talk, uh, and I'll, I'll just mention where we see the most disciples made, but let's just talk about sharing the gospel. Here's some things to remember. Number one, your own life, your own life is a great part of your witness. Mm. Now, you don't have to be perfect or completely mature before God can use you, but your witness is more effective when you obey the leading of the Spirit. Can I say it this way? If I watch your life, is it an asset or a liability to your gospel witness? Can I say it that way? All right, let me, let me age that down a little bit. Ready? Um, do your audio and video match? Are they in sync? If you're going to talk about the good news, does the video sync up? Your own life is a great part of your witness. Number two, you earn the right to be heard by sincerely listening to others. I see all the counselor heads in the room doing this. They are so good at that. I've learned so much by watching them, even on social media. I've watched some of you at how good of listeners you are. We just uh, celebrated the life of a young lady who was described as an incredible and empathetic listener to others. Be engaged. This is an age of distraction. It's hard to have a conversation with somebody and get eye contact because they're checking their phone. They're telling you that you're important to them while they're, oh, I, do you need to take that? No, I don't need to take that. Well, can you? Well, here? Anyway, be present in the moment. Nobody stands at the end of life and describes their greatest friend as the world as somebody who talked their ears off. They say, no, she was my best friend because she was such a good listener. Be a good listener. You'll be amazing what doors open up. I'll talk about that in a moment. Number three, you're not presenting the formula but the person of Jesus Christ. You don't have to convince them of grace, covenant, statement of faith in this one gospel encounter. You don't have to present the 99 doctrines that we cover in our gospel project uh, curriculum over the course of three years. No, you're presenting them. You're introducing them to Jesus Christ. So keep it simple, which is a hard thing to do if you've been saved for more than a year, right? Because you're like, you know, the other day I was reading in Habakkuk and they're going, I'm sorry, what? He said, the other day in my interlinear Greek, I was studying, you know, that I have to read it a certain way. And they're like, I don't, what are you talking about? You didn't get saved because somebody unpacked the complexities of all of the deep things of theology for you. You came to Christ most likely on a simple gospel message. There's a God in heaven that created everything to whom we're accountable. Our sin separates us from that holy God. Jesus Christ was God's solution to pay our sin debt and we come to him by faith, repenting and believing as we move toward the Lord. Two ways we can share the gospel I want to talk about this morning. Conversationally. Conversationally. There have been two recent incidents, instances, that's easy for you to say, um, in two recent occasions for my wife and I when we were out at restaurants that she sensed a door opening with our server. You have to be careful with servers. You don't want to take up all their time if the place is slammed, right? You don't want to go like, I'd like to talk to you for 30 minutes about your soul. She didn't open that way, just so you know. We ask questions, engaging questions. You can tell if somebody wants to talk or not, right? If they're like, so what are you excited about this year? And they're like, nothing. Do you need more water? You're probably done. That would not be an open door, right? 
But hey, what's going on in your life? Hey, it's funny you asked, one of our servers said. And then she mentioned that she had been on national television that morning. And you go, what? And we had a great conversation. And my wife asked the question, so how does your faith or belief in God really anchor that part of your life? What a great question. And she responded. And my wife shared her own testimony, but she shared it in a way that Jesus was the main attraction. So we talked in context about restaurants. We didn't just start and say like, isn't the sky lovely today? You know, no, we, we talked in context like Jesus did with the woman at the well. It happened at another restaurant as we asked a young man. Um, they're on the prayer list. I'm not gonna say their name publicly, but both names are on our church prayer list as we're praying for these two people. Ask questions about people's lives and the things that they're passionate about. See if the Lord would open a door for you to tether that to a faith system. Use the language of today, it's fine. Get to the Bible language of the gospel, but you're trying to get to a gospel exchange, if you will, conversationally, conversationally. Listen, clearly share your testimony and get to gospel witness. Conversationally, it's important. Be engaged, be present. Number two, using the law. Now, Beverly Lawing uh, opened my eyes to a great flipping the script on this that I loved. And uh, I'm like a little kid with a new toy. I can't wait to, uh, to do it, Beverly, to do it the way that you taught me how to do it. Let me talk to you about using the law, the way of the master. This is basically you'd talk to somebody if you have just a moment with them and you feel like you can go there, you'd say, do you think you're a good person? Well, most people are gonna say, yeah, of course I'm a good person. Really? Have you ever told a lie? Oh, yeah, I've told a lie. I mean, a little lie. Oh, so, you, you're, so you're a, I don't know if you'd say, so you're a liar at that point, but read the room, right? Maybe take a step back. If you're gonna make sure there's six feet of social distance before you call them a liar in public. Um, but have you ever told a lie? And like, yeah, a little white lie, but you know, every, everybody does that. Oh, have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? Nope. No, I'm not a thief. You've never taken anything that didn't belong to you? Like a cookie when you were a kid or supplies from work that were well yeah but everybody does that they're actually making two points for you when they say that the third thing have you ever you say to a man have you ever looked on a woman with lust and and unfortunately in this day and age probably like, yeah everybody has say that to a woman have you ever looked on a man with lust jesus says if you did that it's like committing adultery in your heart now you just told me you were a good person we've covered three of the ten commandments and already you've admitted to being a lying thieving adulterer Jesus said if you hate someone, like really, like blood boils, kind of hate somebody, that's like committing murder in your heart. Shall we see if you're also a murderer? Well, depending on how that goes over. <laughs> um, it's just a great way to use the word of God, the law, to reflect back. And it may cause them to think. They may be like, man, leave me alone, walk off. And they may have a conversation that goes both ways. Beverly Lawing flicks the script on that with somebody that she has a relationship with that she's been wanting to do that. Sorry, not trying to embarrass you, Beverly, but I love this. And she says, she makes it about her. She says to her friend that knows her, do you think I'm a good person? Uh, make sure that your video and your audio are synced up before you ask that question. Just point of reference there. And they go, yes. Of course, they'd say yes to Beverly. I'm a little hesitant to ask that. But they, with Beverly, it's yes. Yes, of course. You think I'm good enough to go to heaven? Yeah, of course you are, Beverly. What makes you say that? Well, you go to church. Well, going to church is not enough. In fact, I've lied. I've stolen things. I've hated people. 
didn't deserve for me to hate them. I've lusted. I, I think I've broken all of the Ten Commandments at some point in my life. I go, oh. And then she says, you know, the Bible says we, we're all sinners. Do you see that beautiful transition using the law? It doesn't have to be, rah, rah, rah. it can be if you, that personality fits. But it can also be done gently looking back at yourself. I want to give you one last way here that I think will bless you. And I'm going to use something that uh, I want to share with you. We have some out there. It's called Two Ways to Live. It's going to sound very familiar to you. Two Ways to Live. I'm going to put illustrations. Some of you are good artists, and you can actually draw some of this out. It's a way you can draw it out on a napkin, on a piece of paper, or you can memorize it with this. There's a little bit of text or a lot of text, depending on how much time you have. Let me present the gospel to you using a resource. If you memorize this, it's awesome because it sounds like it's just flowing out of you. You can share it naturally. I want to challenge you to do that. Here we go. God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world and he made us rulers of the world under him. The Bible says that it's the Lord is worthy to receive glory and honor and power for he created all things and by his will they were created and have their being. Pretty awesome. But is that the way it is now? No. You see, we reject the ruler God by trying to run our own lives our own way without him. You see, we reject that crown. We put a crown on our own heads. But with us in charge, we fail to rule ourselves, our society, or the world. I mean, things seem out of control, don't they? The Bible says that there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands and nobody seeks after God. All have turned their own way. What will God do about this rebellion? Well, God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. The Bible says man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. God's justice sounds really hard. But because of his love, God sent his son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. Jesus lived completely under God's rule, yet by dying in our place, he took our punishment and brought forgiveness. The Bible says Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And that's not all. God raised Jesus to life again as ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death and now gives new life, and he will return to judge. In 1 Peter 1, the Bible says, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So where does that leave us? You see, there are two ways to live. There's our way, where we reject the ruler, God. But we try to run life our own way. The Bible says that results in being condemned by God and facing death and judgment. Or there's God's new way. We submit to Jesus as our ruler. We rely on Jesus' strength and his death and resurrection. And the result is we are forgiven by God and given eternal life. Which way will you live? Two ways to live. There's a tool for you, Christian, but let me ask you the question, seated in the pew, watching online on that little screen, big screen, or bigger screen. How will you live? After your own way or after God's way? 
Maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart now. You say, I'm not sure what that means, but you feel like today you need to do something about that. You've been living your own way under your own rule, and it's not working out. You've seen from God's word this morning. His is the living way. Would you remain seated this morning and pray with me? Those of you watching online, maybe you'd pray and say, God, I, I cry out to you. I'm a sinner. I, I want to follow you. I have lived my own way. I have made a mess of things, and I see now that you are the only ruler qualified to rule. I submit to you. I repent of my sins. I turn from my sins, Lord. I turn from myself to you, and I put my faith and trust in you. I want to submit to your way. Dear Christian friends seated in the pew or watching online this morning, would you pray and say, Lord, this morning I've been given some tools. I've been equipped. I can't say I don't know how. I don't know what to say anymore. Father, would you open a door this week so that I could be about your business in sharing the gospel. Father, take these words pierce us, change us. I pray the community would light up this week as the church leaves the building. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Would you stand with us and let's worship in peace.